this season, we are remembering these wise men who came from the East bearing gifts. These gifts tell us uh, a great deal about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the baby that was born. All this is going to come together. All these different uh, messages are going to come together uh, at our our Christmas Eve uh, Christmas Eve services. It's, a, it's an event for the entire community. Uh, again, here at 2.30, and then 7 o'clock at our campus over at Redeemer. And we're going to bring it all together. But what we're doing right now is we're taking each piece, we're looking at, at each gift that the wise men brought that tell us something significant about our Savior. And today, we want to look at this gift of gold. Gold was symbolic of royalty. And what these wise men were in essence saying is, here is the King of Kings. Here is the Messiah. Here is the Anointed One. Here is the One who has been promised. Here is the leader that our world needs and has always needed. Today we see that He truly is the ultimate King. You know, every election cycle I'm reminded that we need a great King. We have well-intentioned politicians who, who often uh, walk into their, their responsibilities with a sense of a clear purpose, but we all know that that's, it's tainted with sin because all human creatures are limited in scope of knowledge, but also tainted with sin in the flesh, even amongst the redeemed. In every election cycle, we see again the need for a king who is perfect. We long for that. Every time I hear people complain and get frustrated and I see uh, the, the effects of, of sin as folks are arguing and power struggles are played, all of that is because we are longing for and need the true king who can exercise perfect authority. This is who Christ is. He is the ultimate king. And our text today shows us how he reigns and how he rules. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and let's go to the prophet Isaiah. So let's go to this, uh, one of the most famous passages uh, about Christ, uh, written 700 years before his birth. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Lexi's is going to come read for us, and so let's all stand together in honor of God's word as Lexi reads for us these two powerful verses that point us to who it is Christ is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lexi. If you would go ahead and be seated. We talked about this last week. I want to remind you again that nothing, nothing can stop what God has decided to do. The best thing any of us can ever do is choose to join God in what He has determined to do. Last week, we uncovered some of the things that God chose beforehand to do, the things that He promised to do. I want to pick up on that list this morning. Again, if you weren't here last week or you haven't heard, please go back and listen to some of there are some significant prophecies that you need to be aware of and how they were fulfilled in these wise men from the East. Today, I want to pick that up as we look at this gift of gold, understanding that before the foundation of the world, God had determined that He Himself would come and be that atoning sacrifice. More than that, God determined that this king, having died, would be raised. 
that he would be raised from the dead, and that he would be at the right hand of God. And he determined that there would be a day when this king would return. And so when Christ came, he established his kingdom on earth. But it's not yet fully realized. We are living in, in this in-between time. We're in the already and the not yet. There is, there is this thing that has happened in the past. Christ has come, but it's not yet perfect. That time is yet to come. And what we see God doing now is transforming his people into the likeness of Christ through this transformational process we call salvation and sanctification. Here's what everybody in this room knows about this world. It is not as it should be. Everybody in this world is dealing with some, and to some extent, with brokenness. Everyone in here has been hurt. We've all hurt somebody. And, and that has created the pain of our world. Now, this is not the world God created. God created everything in perfect harmony. God's design was and is perfect. But we destroyed it. How did we destroy it? With sin. With sin. Every sickness, every broken relationship, every pain on this planet comes because of our sin. And there's where the brokenness comes from. Sin produces brokenness. So there's pain all around us. And God would have been completely within his rights to have left us there. But he, instead, he chose to come. He chose before the foundation of the world, before any decision was made by humanity, that he would accomplish this purpose of bringing glory to his name by entering into his own creation. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. God has entered into his creation. And he has chosen to stay. And he has come and he has done that. So now, those of us who believe, we can pursue and recover God's design. Now, God's design is perfect. And one day, it will be completely realized. But not yet. We live in the already, where the kingdom is at work already. But not fully yet. We have been given a new life who are in Christ. We have been given a new citizenship, which is in heaven. Uh, remember this, Philippians chapter 3, is it Philippians 3, beginning of verse 20? Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens all of some country here, but our primary citizenship and our identity is found in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's where we live right now. We live in a world that has fallen, but we have been renewed. We have been made new by the good news, by the gospel, by the power of God who saves. For all who believe, we've been given this new life, but we have not yet fully entered into all that that life can bring. We're in between the already and not yet. Uh, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament is Joshua. Because in Joshua, we see the picture of our situation. See, God promised that he was going to give them this new life in this promised land. It was their salvation. They entered into that land, but everything was imperfect. There were still inhabitants that had to be removed from that land that had been given to them, that was theirs, it was their place of rest, but there were still battles that had to be won, and so it is with us. The kingdom of God has come into the hearts of every person who believes in Jesus Christ, but there's still sin in our flesh. And we have to vanquish this enemy of God every single day. Every day we are fighting against sin. And understand, 
Either you are killing sin or sin is killing you. John Owen, the great Puritan, wrote that and said that, and that is exactly right. Either you are killing sin or sin is killing you. But here's the good news. Christ has come. The King has come. And now we have the power to be able to choose Christ. And through the the power of Christ who is at work in us, we can overcome the sin that is at work, and we can be free. But here's the good news. One day we are going to be finally and fully free. Christ has come, and His kingdom has come, and His kingdom is alive and at work in all who believe. But one day, Revelation 21 talks about this moment when everything will be made new. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, let me give you some good news. That does not mean that there's not going to be an ocean in heaven. How many of you guys would love, love today? to go and sit by the ocean on a hot somewhere, white sand, give me an amen, yes. See, I'm I'm counting on that in heaven, all right? So what is this talking about? Well, in in, in the ancient culture, in the Greek culture in particular, the sea was known as, as, uh, it was symbolic of chaos. And so what John is saying is, in this new heaven and new earth, there's no more chaos. There's no more sin. There's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more brokenness. So there's no more chaos. There's perfect order. And in this perfect order, we know that all of the other stuff has passed away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's what we're looking forward to. That is what has not happened yet. But friends, remember, every promise and prophecy made about Christ has been fulfilled exactly as it was promised. This promise is yet to come. And it's going to happen as sure as Christ came, so we can know He is coming again. And so right now, we are going to see loved ones pass away. All of us have probably experienced that loss. Here's what you can know for everyone who has died in Christ, that the moment they died, their soul immediately went to heaven. We bury their body. That's just the shell. I tell you all the time at my funeral, what I want you to say is, everyone remember, this is just the shell. The nut is in heaven. And that's the good news. Because one day, and, and we'll go back and read this. I wish I'd love to preach this passage. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. If you ever hear me do a funeral, you get to hear the whole sermon. But go back and say what, what that describes is how when Christ returns, all the souls that are with him will come and descend. And then the and the bodies of those who have been who have been waiting, those bodies are resurrected in a perfect body like the body of Christ. And that righteous soul meets with that never dying body, and then we are able to dwell of the Lord forever because there's a new heaven and a new earth as, as heaven comes and conquers the earth. And all those who who refuse to submit to God are vanquished to hell. The saints of God enter into a glory that is a new heaven and a new earth. It is already the kingdom has come, but not fully yet, but it is coming. And that's where we live in between the already and not yet. But if we will live under Jesus now and, and, and then then, we will have a great king. Understand, you've got to receive Christ. And if you will, he will be your king now, and he will be your king then. 
And those who receive the kingdom of heaven have a certain set of beliefs, have a certain set of, of ways of understanding life and reality. And that's what I want to see, uh, show you in our text today. So let's take notes. Let's go quick. I've got a lot of scripture, so, so be sure and, and, and rattle, uh, write it down as I rattle it along because there's quite a bit. But let's understand the first thing. Those who receive the King of Heaven, first of all, believe in the divinity of Jesus, the, the godliness of Jesus, that He is God. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, again, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, who is this child, and, and why is it significant that He is a son? Well, go back, put your finger in, your, in, your, in the Isaiah 9 passage, go back two chapters. Let's see who this son is. Let's see who who this significant child is. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who is this child? Who is this son who is, being, who is to be given? He is a man born of a virgin, God Himself in the flesh. This is the promised divine being that Eve was told about. And again, I'm not going to go back and, 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 and you know go back through all those texts, unpack all that. Go back to last week's sermon. Look at all those prophecies and all those promises about the coming of Christ. But, but realize that what we see happening here is what God said would happen: that there would be a Son who is Messiah, who is King, who is God in the flesh. And he's the hero. He's the hero of the Bible. He's the hero of the world. We understand that the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. We understand that the Bible is a single story with four complete sections. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. We know the world is not as it should be. God created all things in, in perfect harmony. But because of sin, there's a fall, there's brokenness. But Christ has come, and, and he is going to come again. Here's where we're living right now. And Jesus Christ is the hero. Let me give you some advice. Don't try to be the hero of your own story. You cannot save yourself. Do not trust in a government or an institution or a job or your looks or anything else, money or power or pleasure, anything else to be the hero of your story. There is only one hero who can handle what you need to save you, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the hero of the Bible. Let him be the hero of your story. He is the one who was promised. And what we see in the Old Testament that was promised was kept in the New Testament. And so we now live in a day when salvation is possible, and it's salvation in Christ alone. Why Christ alone? Why not through the tenets of Islam? Why not through Buddhism? Why not through Taoism? Why not through some, some other uh, religious system? Here's why. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is only one who can save, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, we've got to answer the question, why? Why is Jesus, why is Christ alone able to save? Why can't some other system do it? We've well, got to understand, Christ alone can satisfy the just demands of God. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ has done that. This is Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and are justified by His grace as a gift of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And God put forward as a big word, propitiation, by His blood to be received by faith. Propitiation is an object of wrath. Remember hours before Jesus died, He was in the garden, and He said, Father, if there's any way, please take this cup from me. What was that cup? It's the cup of the wrath of God. And Jesus drank it all the way down. He satisfied the just demands of God. The just demand of God would be death for sin. Jesus died for that sin. Only Christ can say, because only He, He alone can satisfy the just demands of God. He alone has conquered death. Listen to what Jesus said in, in Revelation chapter 1. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death in Hades. Not only did He defeat death, but He now has complete authority over life and death. He now has complete authority over judgment and who will enter into His heaven and who will enter into hell. This Christ alone has died for sins. He has conquered death, and He alone can forgive us and make us new. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Notice these two things. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what the, the theologians call the double cure of the gospel. The double cure. So many times people talk about, especially in North America, we talk about the single cure of salvation. We hear about the fact that Jesus says that we are forgiven of our sins. And that's true. But that's not all. Please understand what Christ has done. It's a double cure. He has, first of all, He has forgiven. Now notice the Notice what I'm doing with my hands here. He has forgiven us, all right? He has forgiven our sin debt. He has wiped it away. And now He has cleansed us. He has taken away the sin debt. And He's given us His righteousness. It is in the cross of Jesus Christ that we have the double cure of God. Not only are we forgiven, but we are made righteous so that we can live righteously to the glory of God. That is salvation. That is the double cure. And those who receive the King of Heaven believe in the divinity of Jesus because only God can do what we need. And Jesus did it. Second, those who receive the King of Heaven delight in the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus is what caused me to wait so long to be a Christian. I did not want to live under the authority of Jesus. I wanted heaven, but I wanted to live any way I wanted to. And the Lord had to show me that I didn't have a clue as to what I was talking about. I needed to be under His authority. And the government shall be upon His shoulder. One of the great joys of the Christian life is that God takes complete responsibility for us. I know some of you are worried about your past. Let it go. It's forgiven. I know some of you are worried about your life right now. Relax. Emmanuel, God is with you. And I know some of you worry about your future. Stop sweating it. God's got the plan. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's got the plan for your life. Relax. Just do what He tells you to do. This is the great joy of the Christian life. We're not in charge. We just get to say, yes, Lord, yes, yes. You know, my children at some point stop asking me a question. It's at a pretty young age. They stop saying, do I have to? And the reason why they stop asking the question is because I have written a glorious four-part sermon series. 
that I preach every time I hear that question. I will give you the summation, the great crescendo, the great conclusion is this. You don't have to, you get to. You get to live under the Pettus authority. You get to have the provision of the Pettus. You get to be disciplined by the Pettus. You get to live in the Pettus way. You get to. Now, interestingly, now that my children are getting older and I've got friends who have children that are getting older, it's amazing how all of a sudden we are geniuses. We talk about, you know, how they talk. You know, it's interesting. This 20-something crowd, they've come up with a new word. They've taken a noun and turned it into a verb. They call it adulting. And none of them want to do the adulting. What they really want is just someone say, tell me what to do, tell me how to do it, and if you don't mind, pay for it. That's just how it works. You've got to grow up and you've got to get going. I love you. I'll see you at Christmas. That's not how Jesus deals with us. No, 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 no. He says, I have paid for it. I will care for you. I will take care of every need in your life. I've got a plan for everything that's coming your way. I know exactly what I'm doing. Relax. Follow me. Understand that with that blessing comes a great responsibility. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, He said, Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they can trust as much, they will demand the more. We've been given so much in Christ, and it's our responsibility to share that with others. It's, it's not an option. We're being told to do it. We are commanded by our Father. And the good news is all we have to do is trust and obey. And He takes care of us. And those who, who delight in God's authority over their lives, they, they, they receive this kingship. And those who receive the King of Heaven, they delight in the authority of Jesus. They also do this. Write this down. Those who receive the King of Heaven rejoice in the service of Jesus. He serves us. Remember what Jesus said about why He came. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 42. You know that those who are considered rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came, look at this, not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came to serve. What, how does he serve us? This is what we see in the last part of verse 6. He serves to be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus serves those who believe by being our wonderful counselor. He guides us in truth. Look at Isaiah 28, 29. Or you can't look at it. Yeah, you can't hear it. He is, a one, he, is, he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. This is the prophecy about what it means for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. What has he given to us? Two things. His word and His Spirit. How does God guide us and, and, and counsel us? Well, what does it say in Psalm 119, 105? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He guides us in truth. He counsels us in truth. And His Spirit, what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? John 16, 13. He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He, the Holy Spirit, hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus has given us His Word and His Spirit. That is how He is our wonderful Counselor. He is our mighty God. He accomplishes His plan. Nothing can stop God. Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts has prepared 
I'm sorry, for the Lord of hosts has purpose, and who will annul it? He, his hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? No one can. No one can stop what God has decided to do. God's plan for you is perfect. Please know this one, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. All of this is summed up so well, I think, in the words of John Newton. Everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. If you're ever wondering, why did God allow this to happen? Because it was necessary. Everything that happens has a necessary purpose. If God withholds, you say, well, I've been praying for this and praying for this. If he is withholding it, it's for the best. If you know you're supposed to have it, continue to pray. It may be that God is trying to teach you to pray. He's trying to teach you to trust. He's trying to teach you to persevere. Continue to pray. But if it does not come, trust him. Trust that he is the mighty God and he is going to accomplish his plan. He is the everlasting father. He does not change in his fatherly way with his people. He's perpetual. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's Hebrews 13, 8. God, he doesn't change. And he's always fatherly. I love uh, Romans 8, 15. You have received the spirit of adoption, the sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And he is, and I love the way this sounds, Prince of Peace. I looked up that word prince this week. There's a, there's a deeper sense of this, a different sense of this. Uh, the way this could also be translated is that he is the commander or the keeper of peace. That, that word prince also means commander or keeper. Isaiah 26.3, you need to have this. You need to memorize this. You need to know this. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusted you. What does that mean? That means if you're in the middle of a storm, the last thing you need to do is look at the storm. That means if you're in a season of success, the last thing you need to do is look at your success in yourself. That means that at any occasion, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you focus on Him, He gives you peace. No matter what may be going around, you may be stirring by way of storm or success, no matter what season you're in, so long as your eyes are on Jesus, this commander, this keeper of peace will give you peace. Those who receive the King of Heaven rejoice in this service of, of His giving to us His leadership, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this, this Prince, this keeper, this commander of peace. Lastly, those who receive the King of Heaven trust in the power of Jesus. In verse 7, we see a description of His power. God has the power to, to work all things to accomplish His purpose. He has power without end. What God has and is and will do is absolutely perfect. Those who trust in God, we can rest in His power to provide. trust in His power, we have to stop relying on ours. It doesn't, it doesn't work. We just get in the way. We just get in the way. I want you to think about this for just a moment. If you're relying on you for the power you need to get through your life, you're in God's way. You know, last week when the Christmas tree fell down, I, I got over here and I thought, I can pick up that tree. 
So the professionals got here, and they basically said, um, Pastor, could you please move? You're in the way. It's like, man, I got this tree, guys. I just need a little bit of help. They're like, no, you don't. You're good at other things, but you don't know what you're talking about. Please move. And so they strapped that tree down. They picked that sucker up. They drove it off. It was awesome. You know what I did? I watched. No, I actually made a video when it was going away. I went, bye, tree. You know what happens when we get in the middle of our life and we try to pick up all the brokenness and the pain of our sin? We get in God's way. And you know what God's saying to us? Please move. Please stop. Trust my power. That's what God says to us. He has perfect power. He has the power to make all things work for good for those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Listen, we can't fix our sin. We can't fix what we've done. We can't fix what's been done to us. We can't fix the brokenness of this world. God can. We've got to trust Him. We've got to stop relying on ourselves. We've got to trust in His power. And those who receive this King of Heaven get to enjoy that. Are you enjoying that? I mean, do you really enjoy the gift that is Jesus Christ? Not everyone is. How many parents, grandparents, how many of you can remember ever giving a gift to a kid and you were excited about the gift and you give it to them and they open it and they put the toy aside and start playing with the box? Many of God's children are just like that. We're playing with the wrapping. We're so caught up in the songs and the trees and the lights and the food and the stuff. And we're playing with the box and the gift of Jesus Christ is right here. Friends, there is no place for anxiety. There is no, no place for anger. There, there, there's no place for fear in the love of God. It drives it out. And, and if you're feeling those things because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus or because you've never put your trust in Him, here's what you can know. If Christ is your Lord, then you are free. And this gift will change your life. Has He changed your life? Is He changing your life? pray together. Stand with me. Father God, I know in this room right now there are some folks who need to come get on their knees and say, Lord, God, forgive me and take over my life. I, I want you to be in charge. I want this gift. I want you, Lord Jesus. Father, I know that there are some of my brothers and sisters who are here today and as can so easily happen, they've gotten wrapped up in the wrapping playing with the box that Christmas comes in, that Jesus comes in, and they're missing, Lord, you. And Lord, I pray for some who need to this morning come and say, Lord, free me from this anger, this anxiety, from this fear, from this frustration. God, let me trust you to take the past, to stand with me in the present, and to provide for my future, and let me rest in you. Father, I know that some of us are aware of folks that are living in some brokenness today, 
and we can't, we can't lift them. We don't have the strength, but you have the power, God. And would you hear those who come now to lift up the names of friends and enemies, loved ones, and those we're leery of, who need you, God, and heal them. Come and pray as we sing.